Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane, I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. In this day and age, it can be difficult to truly feel present in motherhood. We have so many roles we're juggling, schedules to manage, self-care to maintain, not to mention remembering little details such as what to add to the grocery store list or that school pickup is early on Friday. How do we manage presence when it feels like we're pulled in all these various ways? Joining me today to talk through this topic is author Sarah Bragg. Sarah wrote a book on this topic and more in her recently released book, A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. However, today we're going to really focus on how to cultivate presence. How can we challenge ourselves to be more present in the moment without needing to document everything on social media? How can we be more present as mothers, as wives, as friends? And how can we teach our children to cultivate presence in their own lives? But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. It appears as though we're about 30, I think 31, away from 600 reviews on iTunes. I'd really love to hit that 600 number by the end of the year, which I don't want to necessarily say that's a goal, but it is a goal. So if you haven't left a rating yet, I would so love for you to do that. It shouldn't take more than 30 seconds. All right, now for a quick story of just what's been going on with me throughout this past week. So let's start back. Today's Tuesday when this is airing. Let's start back about a week ago. It was Monday night and I had been chatting with a friend about just feeling somewhat restless, just restless in our home and restless in this community. Even though I I love my home and I love my community, I was just like, oh, I kind of want land at some point and I don't know, but I doubt my husband would ever be on board with it. And she's like, oh, why don't you start praying about that? And why don't you start talking to him about your desires? So I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. The next day I'm on Facebook and a friend of mine that's a realtor posts this house that I would describe as my ultimate dream house. It was a little red house. And if you know me, I love little red homes. So I sent it to my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, I would move into this tomorrow. And he messaged me back and said, let's go look at it. That honestly blew me away right then and there because I had no idea that he'd even be willing to look. So I called up my friend. We scheduled a showing for the following night. We were able to make it out there. My husband described the home as majestic, which I would say accurately describes this property. And we both walked away saying, let's make an offer. That did seem overwhelming to me because it is a little bit of a distance from Columbus, but I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe this is our next step in life. Maybe this is the next door we walk through. Let's do this. So we contacted my husband's grandma, who's a realtor. She wrote up an offer for us, and then we sat on it, (laughs) and we went back and forth for several hours just contemplating, are we doing the right thing? Is this rushed? I felt like just so many doors had been opening, and it felt right, but also, I, like I said, I really love our house, and I wasn't feeling like I necessarily wanted to move. It was just the home that was so amazing and it really just felt like it was organically happening we didn't seek it out it wasn't something we thought was going to happen so I think that there can be this little prompting in the back of your mind like yeah you got this it's in the bag all that to say when I found out that we didn't get the house I was really crushed and I didn't think I would be as crushed as I was because like I said I do love our home and there are elements to our community which I adore but 
I had to get real with myself and say, why am I so disappointed? A home doesn't make the memories. It's the people in the home that make the memories. And my people are here. And that doesn't mean that a home can't add to your memories. I would love to have chickens at that property and it would be great to have a second bathroom or for all my children to have their own rooms. But we are so comfortable with what we have now and I think sometimes maybe these signs happen because they point you back to gratitude for what you do have and do think timing's everything and it just wasn't the house for us. Even though our fingers are still crossed that maybe it'll fall through and we will get it. <laughs> but yeah, I... I know that this might not seem like it has to do with minimalism, but I do think it has to do with intentionality and intentional living and being grateful for the things that you do have. And it's okay to want more and it's okay to dream big, but remaining grateful for the things that you do have and you do get to experience, especially when I, and I don't like to do this and maybe this will get me into trouble here, but when comparing ourselves to what's going on in the rest of the world, we are so fortunate it's easy to want in a culture of excess and consumerism, but again, it's not necessarily the way that most of the people on this planet live. So while I'm sad and I am allowing myself this time to be a little mournful, honestly, I just have to remember that timing's everything. My family is what makes our house amazing, and the memories we make here are no have no less value just because they aren't in a house that one would deem majestic. So that's my story for you this week. I hope that it helps you if you're thinking about moving, if you're feeling restless in your own home, if you're feeling like maybe you need to have these conversations with your spouse and this prompts you to have those conversations with your spouse because maybe you're a lot more on board than you think you are. I'll not take any more time. So let's get into this conversation with Sarah Bragg. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. I am super happy to be here. I want to know more about your story and get into your new book. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? And I want to know if you consider yourself to be a minimalist. Some people say they're more intentional living, but I want to hear your answer. Oh, okay. Well, I am a mom of two girls and we are full speed in middle school world. So I've got a girl going into middle school in sixth grade and one in her last year. So she's starting eighth grade. So that's Sinclair is my oldest and Rory is my youngest and married to Scott. And we just turned our life upside down and moved from Atlanta to Tennessee about six months ago. That was probably a little bit on board for looking for a minimalist approach and a simple life. But I also host a podcast called Surviving Sarah, and I have such a heart to help women survive right where they are. So whether that is with their relationships, their self, their work, their faith, that is just where I spend a lot of my energy because I just want to be helpful and um, in that in that way with women. And and so to your question about being a minimalist, I do feel like I have become more of a minimalist in the last, oh, probably be really become becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
the beginning of it, it was out of survival. Um, we moved a lot, just, I don't know, we love change. So maybe that's the nature of it, but you know, we, we moved, you know, in the early years of marriage, like from an apartment to a house. And then we moved from Atlanta back to Tennessee and then to Tennessee to Atlanta. And then within there, I feel like, I mean, I feel like we've lived in like eight or nine houses in our Mm -hmm. like 16 years of marriage. And because of that, I just started getting rid of things like going, okay, stripping things down. What do I really need? What do I really want? What do I really love? And so I do feel like I became a minimalist out of survival. And so now it's, you know, it's just kind of the way of life. But I think the bigger thing for me, when I think of being a minimalist is actually just being mindful. I want my mind to be a minimalist mind, I guess, if that can be a thing. So much clutter in my head that was real to me through raising these kids was just how much shame and perfectionism and fear and inauthenticity were taking up residence and real estate in my mind. And I just kind of went on a, a path to, to really become more mindful and to declutter a lot of those thoughts. And so I do feel like I've, I've become more minimalist in my thinking as well. Yeah, no, that actually, that is totally a thing. And I always say that you have to get your mind to a place where you are, I guess, really intentional before you can start decluttering your own possessions. I really mm-hmm. do think it starts there. So I, I think that is a thing and I can see how it would be a survival element to moving because I think yes. we don't realize how much we have until we start moving. And it's like, Oh, I don't want to move all of this. <laughs> and then you think, am I going to continue taking this from like house to house? Like every time I move, I'm going to just box it up and take it. That was, I think that was like, Nope, I'm not going to carry that box again. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Quick question before we get into your book. I, when I heard your name, I believe I've listened to your podcast in the past. And how long have you been doing that? Oh, long time. I'm like a grandmother. I'm, I, th- I think I'm over six years now. Okay. I thought so. Cause I have been listening to podcasts for probably eight, nine, 10 years. And then yeah. I started my own six years ago. And I think that yours was one of the ones I started listening to. Were you connected to, I want to say like Melanie Dale and that group of women? Yeah. Okay. I yes. think that's why I knew your name. Um, okay. Yeah. Melanie, and I used to do we used to do monthly crossover episodes, the two of us, for maybe okay. one or two years. We did that. Okay. I yeah. used to listen to those. So that's why I knew. I, I love like, it. How do I? <laughs> I knew it was more than just your podcast. I'd heard, I knew your podcast name, but yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, veering, I, I'm like tangenting now, but you recently wrote a book. And it's called A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. So before we get into the conversation, I just want to know what prompted you to write this one. You know, I've always loved to write, but you tend to write what you know. And I feel like the last 13 years, I have just been on just learning a lot, (laughs) learning and learning and learning three raising kids. And the biggest takeaway for me, and maybe it's part of midlife, you know, I'm in my forties. And so there's also that coming into play with, with this. But when I look back at my early years of parenting and really over the last 13 years, so much of it was um, maybe surviving my kids, like thinking I was surviving my kids, but realizing that I was really kind of surviving myself because I was just so trying to, fix 
or figure out or strategize, you know, behavior or strategize like how to do this. Like there's got to be a formula to this parenting thing and realizing that there wasn't and that um, so much of my life was just hard and I was making it hard. Like it was on me. And and through all that, I started realizing really this is, gosh, it's less about raising my kids and trying to get them to a certain outcome. And it's really more about raising myself that I was the one who really needed to grow up in a lot of ways to address those things that I mentioned early, like the fear and the inauthenticity and the perfectionism and the shame. Like I need to address all those things in me and grow a little bit. And, and so when I sat down to, to write, that's really what was coming out. That was what was, had filled my journals for years was this process of growing up. And so I really feel like there's just so many women that were no different, you know, I mean, in that area where something hard comes along and if, and if we allow it, it can be a really great catalyst for growth. And that's what raising kids really has been for me. I feel like I've been confronted with that in my own life as well. Just one, I thought I was selfish when I got married and and it was a reflection of like, oh, well, it's not just you anymore. And then after my first baby and then all the way to my third, every, every time I had a monumental or I guess just one of those moments, I realized I had to die to myself a little bit more and put a little bit more priority, which is, is a good thing. And there is growth there. But then the other thing is with children we have expectations for them, or we are trying to disciple them or to Mm -hmm. discipline them. And I would realize that I would be talking to my children a certain way or acting a certain way towards them with not wanting them to behave the way that I would behave. (laughs) And one of the things, this is so ridiculous, but I, for some reason I was getting bad about wearing my seatbelt. Like I would remember halfway through my drive. I know that's horrible. And that's a really embarrassing thing to admit, but my son he hadn't been wearing his seatbelt. Like he was just throwing tantrums about it. And I remember just yelling at him every time we get in the car, I'm like, you need to put on your seatbelt. And then I looked in my rear view mirror and I'm like, Oh, like you've been struggling with this exact same thing. And again, like, Mm -hmm. that's a really dumb example because it just seems like second nature. You put on your seatbelt when you get into a car, but I was like, how can I critique him when I have been for some reason, not wearing my own? So yeah. I think it's, I mean, that's exactly it. That's real. I mean, there's so many things that I would do the same thing. I mean, even, you know, recently my daughter was talking about a friend situation, you know, middle school drama, and we're talking about it. And my advice to her was like, you know, it doesn't sound like that person, if you can't be yourself with that person, you know, maybe this is not a great friend for you. And I literally sat there and was like, gosh, am I being myself with the friend, the people that Mm -hmm. I call friend really like every time I would speak something to my girls, it was like, Oh, am I heeding that own advice? Or am I, what do I think about that for my own life? I I think it is just so true across the board for all of us in that. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. So going into our topic, we're going to be talking about being present in motherhood. How have you challenged yourself to just be more present in the moment with, um, maybe not needing to document everything. And I think, again, it comes back to just living in the moment, but well, what do you think? It is so hard. I think that we just need to state that right away. This is, it is so hard to live in the moment when it comes to social media, because I feel like we, all of a sudden we look up and we think, did it really happen if I didn't post about it? Like if people don't know that this happened, did it really happen? And we, you know, it's kind of a funny thing to think about, but it's very true. And so for me, you know, thinking about that, I I realized that I was really struggling with being present because I was, well, I need to make sure people know that I did this. And one of the things that I started really thinking on was that 
not every moment needs to be a public moment. Um, and I started thinking through that and I started thinking through the lens of my girls being, you know, with each stage, like maybe when they're teenagers or, you know, now maybe when they're older in their twenties, you know, what am I documenting that is, is what I'm documenting helpful? Will this be weird? Is it like just ask, getting curious and asking those questions about things um, has helped me to decide whether this is a public thing or a private thing? You know, is this, is this birthday moment? Do we really need to share it on social media or is it or not? I mean, maybe so. Like the answer, I think, is going to be different every single time. But giving yourself permission to just at least ask some questions about that, whether this you're, you're going to feel like you're you know not present or you are. You know, another thing for me that's been helpful and as your kids get older, you, you might feel the same way is that now, you know, my oldest doesn't want me to post about her on social media. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole new thing, you know, and, and I'm going, well, gosh, I'm like a person who talks about parenting. <laughs> I got, you're, you're my muse. Why can't I post about you? You know, but being mindful and respectful to, to what she wants, because it is her life. And so, you know, I ask permission before I post things about her. Like, so learning that way, I think even that helps you to go, am I just going to be here in this moment with my daughter? And we're going to experience this thing. Like she loves riding horses. Am I going to just be with her or am I going to post about it? And again, there's, there's kind of no right or wrong answer. It's being able to be fluid and flexible in the moment and figure that out. But one of the things that I've I've noticed a lot lately, and it, it was probably one of the early things that helped me realize I needed to think this through of being present in the moment when it comes to what we post is, have you ever been to like, uh, we love baseball. So like a baseball game mm-hmm. or, you know, a concert, some great experience. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of look around and you see how many people are on their phones instead of taking in whatever it is. And I think it was one of those things where I was going, well, how silly is this? You know, I see people on the front behind home plate watching them and they're just literally looking at their phone. And I'm going, you're missing what's right in front of you. Like be present. Look at this amazing thing. Like you're going to miss this cool opportunity. And I think just starting, maybe it's the practice of looking up and just going, just be here, just be here. It's okay if you don't post about it. But I think a lot of us as moms feel that pressure that if I don't post about it, it didn't happen. And if I don't post about it, I'm not a good enough mom because I didn't publicly praise my children or the school or the event or the, you know, we didn't do that. And I think just learning to ask myself and learning to, ask, you know, if we can learn to ask ourselves, why do I want to do this? Can I not just be present? Is this a public or a private thing? And then just intentionally practicing, just looking up is, is kind of the, the approach that we should have with it. I'm really glad that you said that. Cause that was something that I've started to recognize as well. Mm-hmm. I have been noticing in videos that people will post or in photos that people will post, you look around and everyone is on their phone in the, mm-hmm. in the moment videoing it. And it's like, Ooh, why are all these ugly cell phones out? Yes. And no one's enjoying the moment. Yes. You miss their faces. Like you're literally just, you are seeing the world through a screen versus seeing it right there with your eyes without anything in between. Yeah. And honestly, I know a lot of weddings these days, they'll say like, Hey, put your phone away. We have a photographer that will take the photos. And I just think about that. I'm like, maybe someone could be the designated photo taker in these moments so that parents could just put their phone away. But even my daughter graduated from safety town last week and I did want a cute photo of her, 
but I put my phone down. I'm like, I don't need to videotape all of this. Are we even going to go back and watch? Yes. Does anyone actually yes. really care on the internet that might, maybe they want to see a cute photo of her, but they don't need to watch the whole procession of individuals coming down. Like there is a fear of missing out in that, but mm-hmm. I always talk about Jomo and just the joy of missing out. And it is getting that presence back in those moments mm-hmm. back. Yes. And, and, it, and it's hard. It, I think that is, you know, okay. If we looked at my phone, there's like what over 3000 photos and videos on it. And that's just my phone. Let's not even talk about like what's on iCloud, you know? Yeah. And, and you're going really, am I ever going to, like, if I really wanted to go and like minimalize and simplify my photos and go, what are we going to keep? And what are we going to get rid of? I mean, that alone is enough to cause me to crawl under the table because that just feels overwhelming because there's just so much. And so, because we are trying to like what you said, like, do I really need the video of like this whole ceremony of her graduating from this thing? Take a couple of pictures, tuck it away and you're good. That's really all you're going to want to need probably down the road. Yeah, I totally agree. And the same goes for performances. I, anytime I go to a concert, I guess this was pre COVID (laughs) they're starting back up again. Mm -hmm. But yes. I'm just like, are you going to go back and rewatch this? And so I, I've stopped myself in the past probably like five years just because it's never going to sound as good on your phone as it did in person. And that mm-hmm. isn't that why we're paying to hear live music. And it is yes. a cool experience. But again, I can look up YouTube videos of probably that exact performance on a state. You know what I'm saying? So right. It's a tough thing. I really do think it just comes back to a huge wanting to put out there what the things are that we're doing and what we've done. Yes. I don't want to look like boring yes. individuals or it, just everyone else is doing it. So it's easy to do it as well. Right. I mean, I think that you saying that that's the nail on the head. You know, we don't want to look like boring individuals who lead boring lives, mm-hmm. but that's just, you know, it, not everything is like a high, a high mountaintop moment. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. sometimes life is just, just, simple and not a lot going on. And, and that's okay. Cause that's just normal life. Yeah. I want to get into my next question, but the one thing I did want to mention my, I have a girlfriend, she doesn't have kids, but her and her husband work for a huge video game company out in LA and neither of them have social media. And I just mm. think about, I'm like, you guys are so connected to I guess the world of tech in a way, and yet you don't do this and they have really exciting lives, honestly. So I feel like there's so much freedom, honestly, in the way that she lives. And we went out for a bachelorette party the other night and she wasn't, she didn't have her phone out at all. And she was just totally mm. living the moment. And I, I don't know. I just think it's, it's bizarre because I live my life in this realm. And I think about the boundaries I want to put it on it myself. And like you said, kids getting older, it's important to respect them and what they want. So Yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Definitely the way to go. I think. I want to talk more about um, being present in the moment, just in two other areas. I want to talk about it as wives and how we can be more present as someone's partner. And then as friend, you, you mentioned friendships and being your authentic self. And I want to talk more about what presence looks like there. So let's go with being a spouse, someone that's present in your marriage. What does that look like for you? And what advice do you have? Okay. So this is probably the, like, I'm going to tell you the, the, the way that I am the worst at this. And so it's the thing that I'm working on that I am a work in progress, but, and and it's connected to what we're talking about with the phones. Um, 
I will pull out my, I, I, I'm always, I feel like I'm always multitasking, which is not great, but I'm always thinking ahead. I'm strategizing. Like, you know, we, as moms were thinking about, you know, if it gets to be nighttime, then I'm thinking about the next day for the kids. What's the schedule like? What's my work schedule like? What are we doing? What are we going to eat? There's just constant things going on. So I have a tendency to be on my phone. I'm making my grocery list. If I'm going to go to the store tomorrow, I need to make sure I have this, this, and that, or if we need to do this thing. And so it's kind of, it's in my mind, it's harmless. Like we're, you know, Scott and I are having a conversation and I'm also working on tomorrow's agenda. It feels harmless, but what I've learned is that it's really just kind of rude and he's not getting my eyes. He's not getting, that's, that's one of the best nonverbal ways to say, I'm paying attention to you is I'm looking you in the eyes and I'm nodding along. And so for me, I've noticed that that has been, and he's brought it up before in the past, but that is not communicating my presence with him. And so that is something that I work on is putting my phone down and, and just looking him in the eye as when we're having a conversation, even if it's just simple conversation, whatever it might be. And I know that sounds so silly, but I, I don't think I'm the only one who struggles to mm. have their phone up doing other things while, you know, having a conversation with someone. Um, so for me, I think that is the biggest thing is just giving him my full attention, not my half attention. No, I can relate to that a hundred percent. And I think it's because our phones, you're right. We can create our grocery list on there. Uh, I can submit a grocery order on there. I can have my little running note on there with whatever I need to just Mm -hmm. put in there quickly. And so they take place or I might be reading a book on my phone, on my Kindle. And it's just all these little things that our phone has replaced in our lives, like the notepad or the dry erase board or the book uh, mm-hmm. yeah, our eyes are on our phone. So I think there is just an element of always being on our phone. That's it also feels maybe more offensive because it seems like we're always on it, which maybe we are, but there, there are multiple reasons behind that. So my husband and I have the same conversations. Mm, yeah. I just, I think it's just, it's the nature of the the beast right now that, mm-hmm. you know, this is the, the playing field, if you will. And we've got to figure it out because it is, it's, it has the potential to erode our relationships. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see, I may cut this out, but I'll be curious to see in the coming years if, I mean, you see those Black Mirror episodes of that show, or at least I've mm-hmm. heard about them to where it's like everything is robotic and we're all, screens are everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wondering if people are going to get so sick of it that we just honestly go yeah. back to a more simple world. I don't know. It'll be curious. Yes, I know. I know. I wonder if it, I, I think that all the time, I really do think the pendulum will swing a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've, we've gotten to this one end or pretty high to that end. And I really do think it's going to swing back the other way at some point. A hundred percent. All right. I want to hear how we can be more present in our friendships. I think the best way, one of the, or I guess I should say one of the best ways to be present in our friendships is to show up as yourself. And that is, I think that's harder than we think it is. And I think the the older we get, um, especially in our twenties and thirties, I think we're still asking those age old middle school questions of who am I and where do I belong? And so it's easy to start playing a role and thinking, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be. And this is how a person should be. And instead of just who I am. And so I think when we need to start practicing showing up as ourselves and choose, you know, and that, that starts with, with the right people, you know, there's some friends, I know that 
new friends that I, I tried showing up as me and, you know, they quickly were like, Oh, I don't, you know, well, I don't do that. You know, there was a, a tone of judgment and it's like, okay, you're not safe. We'll, we'll just, we'll say what I'm going to say to someone else that is safe. But I think if we can practice just showing up as ourselves and, and leaning into those friendships where you feel safe, like for me, I make sure to have at least one moment a week with a friend, whether that's, you know, on a walk or a phone call or a lunch, whatever it might be. Um, even through COVID, it was so great to just have phone calls or, I, you know, once things opened up a little bit, you know, go on a weekly walk with my friend, those moments, a friend that I could show up as myself with and talk through life and just be present in the moment with, that was, that was a huge life-giving moment for me. I absolutely agree. And I think what I've determined about all of that uh, into my thirties is that I used to think I needed a ton of people to accept my, just me as who I am. And I'm like, no, if I have a handful that I can be two or three that I can be myself with, like my true self with, then that's enough. And I don't want to say that I'm not authentic with my more acquaintances or people that I don't connect with regularly, but I think there is just a, okay, well, I don't want to seem crazy on the one time I see you every four or five months, you know? Right. So, right. but if my cousin right. who hears me acting crazy every day on the phone, she's just like, oh, there's Diane again. So <laughs> I think that it, it, you feel more comfortable in whoever it is that you are just with these people that we're connecting with. And it doesn't have to be, I don't know. Again, I think maybe social media can set us up for that because we're seeing people mm. that have maybe been friends with the same group since high school. And that's not everyone's story. Right. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's more rare than, than common. Yeah. to be, to be that close to your high school friends. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Do you have any other advice on how to teach our children to be more present in the moment? Well, it, it is hard when we are learning it ourselves. I feel like as we go, but I feel like it's just going to take a lot of modeling and a lot of boundaries, which I, I'm not good at drawing boundaries. It's all new to me. But if we can practice going, this is when we are present. This is when, if we're going to continue the conversation of phones, you know, this is when we put our phones down. This is how we approach this. I think that is very helpful, uh, you know, in regards to phones. I think there's an onboarding process as the kids get older, you know, to, to hold out and to recognize developmentally where kids are and then meet them where they are at. For middle school, they're going through a lot of cognitive pruning is what they call it, where they literally are just forgetting so much of what they already know and because their brain is developing so fast. And so if we're just letting them fill that with um, all this other stuff, the things that aren't that important, then that's what their brain is going to remember. And it's going to prune off all this other stuff. And so I think that we just have to help teach them, be honest, have honest conversations, and then just help set boundaries and that's not always easy because they don't always like the boundaries and I don't like, <laughs> I don't like rocking the boat, but gosh, kids rock all the boats. So, um, I, I do think it just is a process of modeling and setting boundaries. Which is what we were talking about earlier too, with wrecking. Well, I should say my example of that is my daughter will see me, even if I'm at a red light and I grab my phone really fast to send a text, she's like, mommy, you're not supposed to be on your phone when you're driving both hands, your both of your hands are on the wheel. And I'm like, oh, she's really watching my every days. And I never want her on her phone when she's driving and she learns to dive and she's barely seven years old. So I think that, again, that was that mere reflection of my behavior in her. And it's like, if I don't set boundaries around my phone, 
and again, I am the adult here, but I also think when she becomes a teenager, she would have a point. You always have your phone in your hand. Why can't I? And correct. Yeah. So that is, again, I think it is that holding up the mirror to ourselves and we really are just humans raising other humans and yes, yes. They are kids, and we love them and we have a special bond with them, but it's also, we're just walking through this life together, you know? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it helps me when I think on that note of raising humans, when I think of the kind of human I want my girls to be when they are 30, mm-hmm. that helps me make a lot of different decisions in these younger years. Cause I think, and it helps me to let go of a lot of fear of going, okay, one day they're going to be 30. I'm going to keep the end in mind and we're going to be present. And we're going to think through how to help them become that kind of person when they're 30. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, this was a wonderful conversation and I can't wait to read your book and to have listeners read it as well. So where can they find you connect with you and grab a copy of it? Yes, you can find me at my website is sarahbragg.com. I send a monthly survival kit newsletter full of all the things that have helped me survive that month, like give you curated recommendations of what to read, what to watch, what to listen to. Um, You can sign up for that there. And then my Instagram is Sarah W. Bragg. Um, And of course, you can buy A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself just anywhere you like to buy books. Perfect. Well, as we wrap up our conversation, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is what is something dear to you that you could never minimize? Oh, that is such a hard question. When I knew you were going to ask this, and so I thought about it and I thought about my engagement ring box. Mm. That is something. So here we are at 16 years and it's broken. Like it doesn't even actually like shut like, you know, securely, but I still put my rings in it every single night and set them, you know, you know, where in my closet or wherever. And I just, I just love that box. Cause it just means so much to me. And I would have never thought that if you hadn't asked that question and made me think a little bit about that, but I think that's what it is. Yeah. I can't believe you still have the box and you take them off. I can't believe you haven't lost them by taking them, but I guess you're in that box every night, then you know where they're right. Are. Right. It's like, it's like routine. I don't like sleeping in jewelry. And so it feels funny. And so I've just always taken it off. Um, but yeah, it's that that little box. Yeah. All right. And then lastly, what is an area in your life that you would struggle to keep minimal? Okay. I hate to even admit, admit this, but I have over a thousand emails on my phone that are unread. Yeah. (laughs) My husband literally just, he opened my phone yesterday and he was like, um, this is a problem. (laughs) So I just, I struggle to minimize my emails. Like, I don't know what it is. I send myself like so many emails to you, like probably like half of those are from myself of reminders or like, think about this or, you know, and then I just, they just sit there in my like inbox. So that's just a, um, something I need help with minimizing. That's a struggle. I have have a website for you. It's called unroll.me. And they, I don't know, I guess you'd have to give it permission to do this. So if you're not wanting that, then it's not. But uh, I have that set up and it puts everything that you just click on from the list. It takes it all off. So you don't have to go to each individual thing and subscribe. Or if there's things that you don't want to see, you can categorize it. So that website has been really helpful to me, (laughs) but I know I need to go through. I think my biggest thing is just organizing. Like Mm -hmm. if so, you want to keep these emails, like, first of all, let's read them, make them unread and then put them somewhere. 
But then um, I just get overwhelmed and go, oh, who has time to do that? Oh, but I know I need to. (laughs) No, I hear you. you. Well, Sarah, this was a wonderful conversation. I hope that this helps moms as they're getting back into the school year and knowing what to prioritize and how to be more present with their children because it it really does go so fast. So Mm -hmm. I just appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me and for having such a thoughtful conversation. What did you think of the episode? Do you struggle feeling present in your day-to-day, whether it's in motherhood, in your marriage, or with friendships? Obviously, I'm sure most of us would answer yes to these questions, so you're not alone. Don't feel guilty. Just take little steps in getting to the point that you want to be that's realistic. I'd love to hear your story and your thoughts, so I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.